Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. In today's episode, you're going to be hearing something a little different. Crystal and I have decided to give you a sneak peek into our lives a little more than just those check-ins we do every week. We decided that we're going to be talking about our process in therapy, how we started, how it's going, because we A, want to promote it, and B, we thoroughly believe in its ability to help you figure yourself out and be better for yourself and the rest of the world. So what you're going to be hearing today is one of the first episodes that she and I recorded when we first started the podcast. So I would say that this episode is about four months behind in regards to where we're at right now. But we decided to use it because it has a lot of valuable information in regards to how we decided to start going back to therapy and what therapy looks like, just in case anyone's curious or interested and you just kind of want to peek into our lives and our process. But with that being said, there's a lot of valuable information, but there's also a lot of information that is not relevant anymore to us. So for me, I'm not with the partner I refer to in this episode anymore. We are not together. We did not get back together. I just want to make that clear. And also, because this was pre-closet era, for those of you who follow us on Instagram, saw the closet (laughs) setup, the sound is also trash. So I do want you to be mindful that that is also something to look out for in this episode. We did our very best to make the sound not as trashy, but... You know, we didn't know better. There's a little bit of echoes and stuff like that, but you'll be fine. The information is so good that you'll ignore all of that, all of that. <laughs> and the last thing I would like to say is that I, Crystal, the adult, do not currently wet my bed. And I want to say that <laughs> because I'm not sure that it's clear in the episode. <laughs> when I heard it back, I was like, oh, um, but I but I would like to take this moment to set this record straight that I, Crystal, the adult, do not wet the bed. I only wet the bed when I was younger and it was socially acceptable to do so. Thank you very much. Don't come at me, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> with all that, new and very relevant, important information, I might add. Uh, Being said, we hope you enjoy the episode. All right. So before we get started, you know, in full therapist fashion, how are you today? Girl, I am exhausted. I've been up since three in the morning, uh, so I might sound a little loopy today (laughs) because I I think at this point, I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't know why I've like wake up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night and then all of a sudden I'm fully wired and then I want to go back to sleep as soon as I have to get up for whatever it is that I'm doing that day so yes my brain is like haha gonna fuck with you today that's where I'm at (laughs) no I get that I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like fuck I gotta pee and then like just knowing that I'll pee in the dark first of all to not wake myself up with the light and just knowing that like I might just wake the hell up and not be able to go back to sleep for like another hour and a half. It just 
messes with me. Sometimes I'll put myself back to sleep. Like, you know how possums, they play, you know, quote unquote, play possum. Like, I'm like, all right, go back to sleep. It works sometimes, but sometimes I just, I really got to go. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. I go in the dark as well, but like, no, I don't know. Like as soon as I, I wake up and sometimes like, I really got to pee, but if I get up, I'm not going back to sleep. So I'm like, I'm just holding in and pray that I haven't peed on myself when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I never wet the bed when I was little, so I don't even have that thought. But watch me have, watch me think of that shit tonight because you put it in my head. Oh no, I definitely wet the bed. Like, yeah, no, it was bad. And then your mattress—it's like not a pleasant experience in the slightest. Because if you wet the bed, you don't realize it. You wake up and you feel mad, nasty, and itchy because like you're wet. Imagine sleeping in a bathing suit. Um, and then waking up the next day and it's like disgusting. And then it smells like, and it's not even like just the bed, like the whole room smells like pee. It's terrible. Like I, I don't know how parents do it, but yes, I definitely did wet the bed. Um, it was unfortunate. So, I mean, listen, I've never done it. Like I said, but like I, I did have my older sibling, my brother, he's going to kill me for saying this. He used to wet the bed really frequently. Like it was, I would say four times out of seven nights. And Oof. we had bunk beds and he would sleep on the top. So like, oh, I was okay. No, no this, it's not going to go there. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. It did not drip. It's not going there. But uh, one time, I don't know why he slept. I think he started sleeping on the bottom bunk because he needed easier access to the bathroom. And I'll never fucking forget. I think I must have been like seven, eight. And my brother's older, not that much older, but older. And I get woken up in the middle of the night by this, by my brother whispering, Sasha, don't be mad. And I fucking knew what he did. I had to get up. I was so mad. I was like, you peed in the bed? I can't believe you peed in the bed. Like he messed up my whole night and I had to go to school. I was always a little adult, but yeah, like I had to change the sheets with him. I had to put a garbage bag underneath on top of the mattress so it didn't soak through our sheets. Oh, it was it wasn't a pleasant experience, but uh, I was kind of like a mom at that time. Oh, your Still brother, am. your brother definitely owes you that in big time because that's no, no, no. <laughs> I just don't even have words. No. <laughs> oh man, he's gonna kill me. But, you know, you start thinking about, like, why do kids wet the bed? And I think that has a lot to do with anxiety and all these things that, these feelings that come up when we're kids, right? And, like, you fast forward to when we're adults and you think, like, back to your point, you're like, damn, I really hope I don't wet the bed. That's still something that's going on in your mind. So in regards to talking about anxiety and all the the lovely, lovely, <laughs> I would I like to group it into negative experiences of life. Today, we want to talk a little bit about why we began therapy again this year, because this is something Crystal and I have in common. Um, We started our therapy a week apart, and we are no strangers to therapy, let me tell you. So, But this time around, it was a little different. So I don't know if Crystal wants to talk a little bit about her experience this year. Well, I'll let you go first, since I shared my fears about wetting the bed and you didn't check in, Um, so I'm going to make sure (laughs) Oh, shit, I didn't check in. This is true. I'm good. I'm very good. And that, my friends, I can safely and securely tell you is because I started therapy in the beginning of August. (laughs) And I finally feel like I have some, like, my foot on some, like, solid ground. So um, I'm doing real good. No complaints here. 
but I will rewind a little bit back to why I began because I wasn't always good. I think for a full year, I think Crystal has seen me just be not good, uh, going into her office and crying and feeling all the feels and then just like all of a sudden having two, three good days and, and then it got worse again. But the reason that I started therapy, sorry, is because I this year decided to go a little more blonde than I had my hair previously. And I remember the moment that my hair lady unwrapped the towel from my hair. I was like, oh shit, I'm really blonde. And immediately the thoughts of, oh, what is even Crystal? Crystal came up like, oh, Crystal's going to think I'm trying to be something that I'm not. And what is so-and-so going to think? And oh my God, what kind of girl do I look like? And just within that, you know, whirlwind of an experience, because it hits you like you're watching a movie in your head. And that's anxiety. The anxiety of the what if or what was, right? You're never in the moment. And just thinking and realizing that I'm doing this thing where I'm so concerned with other people, that's when I realized I had to get my ass back to therapy. And I had to make it more structured for myself with a purpose. So there was a goal in mind. And the goal was to, like in layman's terms, just stop caring what people think. Because that will kill you. You know, that is what keeps mm-hmm. you up at night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, Preach, girl. Yeah, those assignments that you didn't do for your job that you know you can't get done, but then if your boss found out they haven't been completed yet, that's the shit that keeps you up. Um, So I think ultimately that's, there are so many other things that got me that I realized I had to work on in therapy, but my hair was the catalyst for actually beginning again with a more with more structure thanks for sharing that it's so funny because i remember saying like so do you want to go back to therapy like do you think it's happening to go back to therapy <laughs> even before the hair incident but i think that the what's important to note there like even though i felt uh, you might have needed additional support i think it, you needed to to finally get to that place because you don't you you like if going into therapy you have to make an active choice to do so so I think like even me suggesting it wasn't gonna resonate until you're like oh shit no this is actually affecting me and I and I think that the reasons that you went back to therapy were not even for the reasons that I had suggested um that you you go back so I think like obviously you have a better sense of what your needs are um than I do obviously but I'm yeah. I'm glad so- that you went back Thank you. Yeah, no, just really quickly. A, you were not the first person to tell me I needed to go back. The whole world, even my mother who doesn't believe in therapy was like, have you called your therapist? And I was like, all right, everybody's hinting at something. And I kind of knew, I just didn't want to deal with it. But there, I'll get in. I'll get into it more. And I, I know we'll get into it with the conversation of how just caring so much about what people think is the ultimate reason that I was feeling so down and how different things contributed to that. So... Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. But yes, so you started therapy the week before I did, I think. I actually, after seven years of therapy with the same person, uh, yes, I have been in therapy for over seven years. I know that's a long time, um, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But after seven years, I decided to switch therapists. I just felt a disconnect with my current therapist, with the therapist that I was seeing before. Ever since like 2015, actually, I, I think like that's when the disconnect started. And I believe the relationship started to deteriorate from there. I finally reached my breaking point in 2020 to the point where I was like, OK, I, I need to leave. And ever since Sasha has known me, I've 
said to her, like, yeah, no, like, I, I think I need to see another therapist or I, I don't like my therapist. I feel like our relationship isn't working. Like, I feel like I can't be open and I can't be honest and I can't connect. And I do think like at some point I would love to do an episode on just understanding and recognizing the signs that maybe your therapist isn't a good fit or what are like maybe some warning signs that the relationship isn't helpful. Um, Sorry. Just really quickly. I have to tell the audience that like, I think the relationship with your therapist, when you would tell me about it, it kind of felt like a relationship with a guy that I was just like, why is she with him? And like, I so wanted you to break up with her. Like, I'm, I'm sure I told you many times, like, so change her, so change her. Yeah, you were like, I don't like this woman. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Sasha, am I going to like not have to tell you about my relationship with my therapist? Like, you know, when you're like in a, in a relationship and you're like, I really don't want people to hate my boyfriend, but. <laughs> yeah. um, I became that hating ass bitch. <laughs> I didn't like your therapist. I was like, she's doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you weren't you weren't wrong about that so I'm not even mad at you in that regard but yeah I think COVID was finally the tipping point for me to leave that relationship so once COVID hit obviously I couldn't go see her in person so we would do teletherapy but a lot of therapists are doing like video like video conferencing Um, my therapist is old school and she only wanted to discuss like on the phone and I just felt that wasn't beneficial to me it also felt like my life was on pause and it was really difficult for me to connect with those with my feelings so I was experiencing a lot of emotions but because it felt like my life was on a standstill I couldn't connect with her and talk to her about what I was experiencing because usually what I talk about my what I was talking to my previous therapist about was like I describe it as it was always like crisis. It was always like, this is happening in my life. Like, let's discuss, let's unpack this and let's come up with a solution. But I don't think that we had, um, and I think like there was just a lot for many, many years. I think I was putting out fires. It was always a crisis and always me putting out fires, but it was never me addressing the core uh, trauma. So um, I think now that I didn't have fires, I think like I was able to see the relationship for what it really was. And I was able to see that she wasn't really helping me. And I think just COVID had me on a roller coaster, as I'm sure many, many, many of you, Mm. if not all of you were, were experiencing some sort of emotional distress. So I think after feeling like highs and lows and confusion and isolation, because not only were we not able to go outside, I also live alone. So there really was no one here with me. I really was truly isolated. I think it was the tipping point for me to realize, okay, this, this therapeutic relationship is no longer serving me and I need to leave. So I uh, found a new therapist. So you, you brought up points that like I actually can relate to just to talk, just to delve into the nitty gritty, as we usually say, this is the scary part, right? What kind of issues was I having? Well, I too, I have, I, I suck at sleep and like, I, I act like it's something that you can perform well in. But I have a boyfriend who could fall asleep in three seconds. So to me, he fucking wins the gold medal. I wish I could do that. Like, I think that whenever anything is bothering me, it just like my sleep is the thing that gets affected first. And then my stomach and then I gain weight and then all these things happen. And then I get down even more. Right. You know, obviously, I was also living through a pandemic. I don't live in a silo where it doesn't affect me. And I was having a lot of issues with my partner. 
and I had just started birth control, which I know women could definitely relate to. Sorry, guys, if you're listening, but um, you have no idea what it does. It's like a parasite is put into you and it controls the shit out of all your emotions. And I don't yeah. care to, I don't, I don't want to hear, oh, it's just an excuse. Bullshit. That shit is real. It's like the yeah, rain cloud is. is over you. It is. So all the, yeah, all these things are happening and... I just thought, no, I could fix it myself. And it just felt like it was very external. You know, these things happening to me that I could maybe rearrange somehow. But in reality, when I looked at myself that day in the mirror and I realized the reaction I had, I saw it like a movie. It was like, oh, no, you care too much about the external world. And that's the issue. No, I agree. So first of all, I want to say... I can't fight, but I will fight anyone who tries to deny the effects of birth control. <laughs> I will fight 100%. you on my birth control. But yeah, no, I think that uh, the pandemic was truly um, a big catalyst for me too, because I think I finally slowed down long enough to realize how I was truly feeling and what the effects of just my trauma were. Because I life stopped. And the distractions stopped. And our job, um, Sasha and I work at the same place, is really busy. And you can kind of just mm. keep going, 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 going and go on autopilot and not really take the time to focus on you. But when everything stops around you and you have nothing but time and I have four walls staring back at me, I felt like it was really difficult to ignore the fact that I still had a lot of work to do in regards to my trauma, but this time it wasn't about putting out the fires. It was about really getting to the root issues. So my previous therapist uh, was more psychodynamic with her approach. Um, so really what that means, according to the American Psychological Association, psychodynamic therapy is the idea that behavior and mental well-being are influenced by childhood experiences and inappropriate repetitive thoughts or feelings in the unconscious. So you work to bring thoughts into your consciousness to improve your self-awareness and change old patterns so you can take control of your life, which makes absolute sense, right? Because I think like as children, we develop a sense of, you know, like you're narcissistic. So everything is your fault and you kind of learn to internalize these things unless somebody stops you from internalizing things that are not yours to internalize. And when I was looking for a new therapist, I actually wasn't so much thinking about mo like what modality the therapist was. It was just more so like I I definitely asked because I'm a mental health professional what people's approach was, but really I was just looking for someone who seemed knowledgeable on trauma uh specifically, but I I came across uh, my current therapist, we'll call her Michelle for her privacy, but she's a behavioralist and she does CBT. So again, according to, actually it's the American Psychiatric Association. Sorry, I misspoke earlier. CBT uh, helps people identify and change thinking and behavior patterns that are harmful or ineffective by replacing them with more accurate thoughts and functional behaviors. So still a big focus on your thoughts and your behaviors, but instead of the focus on your childhood, it's kind of like, what is the thought? Let's identify the thought. Is this thought true? How did you get this thought and how do we replace this thought with something else? So it's very, it's much more methodical than psychodynamic therapy because psychodynamic therapy was 
kind of it's a little more Freudian in sense. Like if people kind of have a very basic or inaccurate understanding of Freud, kind of like sitting on the couch and you know, whatever comes to you, that's what you talk about. So like even with my previous therapist, I would walk I would walk in, she'd greet me. And then she'd sit quietly until I started talking because basically in, you know, just how she was trained, whatever comes up for me, that's what I'm ready to process. And that's what I'm ready to understand and work through as opposed to when I go to see my current therapist. Now she has an agenda for me and I'm like, okay. So, you know, she definitely asked me to check in and see how I'm doing. If anything came up during the week in case there is something that I need to process, but It's very specific. She has goals for me. She has a timeline for me. And it's a time-limited therapy, which um, most CBT, I feel like, is. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sasha. Uh, No, you're right. Yeah. So it's a two-year intensive uh, trauma therapy. Um, I'm a little scared because in my last therapy session, she said that in three weeks, we're going to dive into the actual, what actually happened (laughs) In, in during my trauma, I'm stuttering already because I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take over for a second, drink a glass of water, uh, a little sip of water. Actually, maybe for this one, you need the whole glass. But <laughs> I think um, essentially what you're saying is you're going to hit the trauma on the head, right? Absolutely. And what happens when you do that? Yeah, what do you do? Like these things happen whether we are looking for it or not, right? So in Crystal's case, she is looking for the trigger, uh, the trigger to the trauma, right? And just to kind of explain what it is, my hair was my trigger to my trauma, right? So if I think back to how I grew up and why, like really, like why did these thoughts come through first? Like why was I so worried about what other people were going to think of me? Like you, that's who I was when I was little. I was really, really worried about everybody else. And I never took the time to worry about myself. And now everything is a trigger for me. And that's what I've been trying to undo. So going back to what Crystal said, I think it's important to distinguish. No therapy is better or worse than the other. I think it has to do with, yeah, I think it has to do more with where you are, right? Mm -hmm. And Crystal and I happen to be in a place where we have processed our first relationships, we know where these things come from. And like, you could keep processing, but it's almost like strengthening a muscle and overdoing it, right? Like you're going to hurt yourself because then you kind of get stuck in the, the why me, why did this happen? I'm hurt. What do I do with this pain? So now we've just kind of changed our, our, our route and we're still in therapy, but to, to more like being structured and figuring out how do I undo this pain? Right. Because obviously it's irrational you know, quote, you know, a rational belief that that is CBT. And how do, how do I move around that? But not again, not to say that one therapy is worse or better than the other. Yeah. It's about finding a good therapist, which I could speak to a little bit. I did trauma therapy with a new therapist, but I've been, so let me rewind a little bit. I've been seeing my current therapist. I'll call her, oh, I suck at giving people names. I'll call her Anne. I don't know. So Anne has been my therapist since I was 22. And it's almost 10 years at this point. And I keep going back and forth to her. So now I see, I decided to just see her because I established trust with her. I love her. And she's really good. And I don't feel shame coming to her with my problems and telling her, hey, guess what? My hair was my trigger, you know? And I don't feel shame if she, if she chuckles at it. 
because I trust her fully. So I think that that's a big deal. Before her and me and Anne, let me say, we used to process my feelings and what happened and all this, all the, the reasons why I had these symptoms, right? Because these symptoms manifest off of something. And now I kind of took control, which is very like me because I'm a control freak, of my therapy. And I started journaling. I started working in a more structured manner, working on the inner child, which is psychodynamic. Um, mm-hmm. It's purely psychodynamic, but through a behavioral perspective. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think uh, I, I do appreciate that you brought up the point about no one therapy is better than the other. Honestly, my therapist actually revealed to me um, in our last session that I'm kind of on the fast track. Um, she's like, in terms of the timelines that she usually has with other clients, um, because of my mental health background and because I was in psycho, like a more psychodynamic therapy for years, I'm able to identify my feelings. Like I'm I've created that emotional intelligence. And obviously I do still have some thoughts that are not productive or some faulty, maladaptive uh, thoughts, but I'm able to identify this is sadness. This is loneliness. This is where it's coming from. Like, this is the origin. Like I'm able to trace it back. This was my trigger. And I think like, even though granted, yes, maybe I overworked that muscle for those seven years. I don't think that I would be able to do cognitive behavioral therapy today if I wasn't for the groundwork that I did with my previous therapist. But it is very, very different. Um, And I do kind of want to speak to to that. Now with CBT, it's very homework heavy. So there's a lot of like reflection. There's a lot of journaling. Mm. It is an evidence-based therapy and not only evidence-based in that there's evidence that it, it works, but it literally, you have to find the evidence that your thoughts are true. If you're going to say this thought, I believe this thought, you're going to be challenged. Well, what's the evidence that this thought is even true? And let me tell you so far, oh for 4. Uh, none yeah. of my thoughts are true. <laughs> There's no evidence That's, for any of them. <laughs> hence the hashtag irrational beliefs. Yes, uh, yes. Yes. Sorry to tell you. Can we just stop for a second and break it down and like what you mean by is this, where's the evidence that it's true, right? Because like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But trust me when I say that if someone comes to me and they're like, I feel like fucking shit because I am shit. That's not true. I know that, but they, they know it's true and their evidence in their mind is true. So can you just break that process down? Yes, absolutely. One of the things that we do, one of the things that is done in CBT, CBT, wow. Why did the Latina That's just Spanish. jump out of me? The Latina <laughs> jumped out of me. The Latina, she was like, like, hey, hey. How you doing, girl? CBT, CBT. <laughs> it's the CBT, not CBT. <laughs> I can see you walking down the street like we're gonna do CBD today. Okay. Buenos dias. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you do uh thought records. If I ever stop laughing. Um. So the thought record is, I believe, four or five sections. So the first, uh, so it's a tape, like it's kind of like a table. So the first you put in what is the thought, right? Like in that table, in that little square, like what is your faulty thought? So one of mine was, uh, one of my first thought records was my feelings don't matter. And I'm over here trying to guess what, not guess, um, but remember what a thought record is when I have 
thought records on my computer that I can open right now and just look at it. So first, uh, the first column is what is your thought? So one of my thought records is my feelings. Uh, my feelings don't matter. Actually, the one I just opened is actually I don't deserve to be loved. So we're going to switch and pivot to that. Mm. Um, so I'm going to get real personal. Y'all about to really hear my my very real uh, thought record right now. Um, yeah, it's a trigger for me. Yeah, I feel you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working through this one, but I realize I don't have any evidence and I'm trying to find evidence. And my therapist is like, that's not evidence. So I feel like we're in a fight that she's probably <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so my thought is I don't deserve to be loved, right? So you you put in the thought. Then you put in the percentage that you believe it. Um, so my therapist admitted that usually it's a percentage from 1 to 100, but she actually prefers a scale of 0 through 10. Um, so it might vary according to therapists, but my therapist is using a scale instead of percentage. Um, so my initial percentage that I believe in or like on this scale is a seven. Um, and my evidence for, which is not actually evidence for, but we'll, we'll break it down is I don't feel loved. So first of all, you cannot prove a thought with another thought or a feeling like that's not evidence. It's not concrete. Just because I don't feel loved does not mean that I am not loved. But one thing that was a little bit more evidence was my mom's love was conditional, um, meaning sometimes she showed love and sometimes she didn't show love. So that is a little bit more evidence, but it's still not strong enough evidence to support that I don't deserve to be loved. It is strong because your attachment figures, your parents, like those people that raise you and that you grow up with, like they do play a big role in your life. Um, but that was pretty much the only evidence that I had. The other thing that I wrote was my safety did not matter. So I feel like if my safety didn't matter, if my safety mattered to someone, it would be to some, it would matter to someone who loved me. So because it didn't matter, that person did not love me, uh, which wasn't the mm. case. This person wasn't capable of caring for my safety. And I put that there are not a lot of people in my life, which means there's not a lot of people who even care enough to love me. And I feel lonely. Um, again, these things are not evidence. They're things that I've, there's feelings and thoughts that I've had, but it's not concrete evidence. So I guess maybe, uh, say like, I don't deserve to be loved. Concrete evidence would be if a parent or a figure in my life said, Crystal, you don't deserve to be loved. And not even that that's evidence that I don't deserve to be loved, but that would be a more concrete piece of I guess, truth, like something concrete to hold on to where I would have formed that belief based off what somebody said, um, as opposed to, I just don't feel love, therefore I don't deserve love. So then you have to write evidence against why. So you have to challenge yourself, like what's the evidence for, what's the evidence against. So I said that the evidence against is that I know for sure that there are three people who in my life who love me. I better um, be one of those people. You are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she, when my therapist gives me a lot of homework. Um, so one of the things that she asked me um, as part of my homework was to ask people who deserves to be loved. And a lot of the people that I asked, so who deserves to be loved? They were like, everyone deserves to be loved. So I was like, I guess that's evidence against my thought. Like if everyone deserves to be loved, I am part of everyone. Um, so then after you write the evidence for and the evidence against, you have to write in the percentage that you believe after, like on a scale of, so for me, it's on a scale of zero to 10. 
after this particular thought record, I was like, it's still a seven. I'm still working on this one. So this is not, <laughs> this is probably not the best example. But what's a new helpful thought that I will gain, like will say to myself or can use when I'm feeling that I don't deserve to be loved. Um, and I put, you are loved. The following people love you. And then I list who those people are. Um, and then someone's, and then I said, someone's inability to love me is not a reflection of whether I not whether or not I deserve to be loved. So that's a very, I'm still very new to thought records. So this is maybe not the greatest example of one, but that's kind of like the thought process that goes into. So what's your thought? How much do you believe it? What's the evidence for? What's the evidence against? After examining that, how much do you believe it after? And what's the new helpful thought that you're going to use in place when you get that initial negative thought? So that is a really good breakdown of how we have ideas of ourselves that are created from our past experiences and how we take those ideas. It's like a, a fucking luggage that you bring with you. And it's the same clothes all the time. And it's the same clothes all the time, even in new experiences, which is why Crystal has to write down, no, Sasha's a different set of clothes. Sometimes we have to be, we have to remind our brain like, no, 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 no. This is how you do it. Like imagine someone starts asking, so imagine everybody starts crawling everywhere and you're just so used to walking. It's automatic. And that's the thing about these thoughts. They're automatic. And this is why, again, going back to my hair, something as silly, and I, I'm judging myself, but something as not, it's not a big deal. I could easily dye it back to brown, right? As dyeing my hair blonde rocked my world because I am so used to automatically thinking about other people. Similarly to Crystal, it's not as structured, but my therapy is more focused on figuring out where these negative associations of myself came from and then finding evidence in my adult life, right? Uh, to figure out, to, to counteract those beliefs, right? Because these beliefs came from my child life. And now I'm an adult. I'm a whole grown-ass adult. And I'm some, I still sometimes act like that little girl who's mad scared. Just to kind of express what I've been working on, I talk to my inner child. I journal to her every day. I tell her, don't worry. It's okay. You're loved. Like, yo, you're legit. I am legit loved. I cannot even. It's something that's taken me a long time to recognize that people do love me. And I'm very blessed in that sense. Yeah, that's that's a whole topic for another day. I am loved. I, I'm not that. It's sometimes I have to remind myself, like, I'm not this little girl. Like, And also I have to learn how to, something I've been working on is learning how to integrate this little girl, right? Because when I was little, I couldn't play. Like I was always, and I, I see Crystal shaking her head. Yes, like sometimes we are so concerned with the adults in our life and their safety that we're not allowed to be little kids. So now when I want to play, there's a lot of shame and guilt that comes up for just wanting to have fun. Or like even when I laugh, like sometimes I'll snore. I feel mad though. I'm like, oh my God, you shouldn't have showed that to people. But it, and like these are the thoughts that come up and it's just like working through that and kind of seeing it objectively, which is real, real hard. It's like, it's a full-time job if you ask me. And then I have my other job that is something that Crystal didn't mention about our job earlier when she spoke about it is that it's mainly geared for other people. We're constantly thinking about other people. And then, especially in this pandemic, you turn your, you know, you just close your laptop and then you're like, well, who the fuck thinks about me? Right. And all these things start coming up, right? But that is part of the irrational belief because there are people who think about us, but 
these are things that just start coming up. But yeah, that's how my therapy has been looking so far. And I, I will say, like I said in the beginning, I think it's working. Yeah, I will say, well, first of all, I want to kind of backtrack one step um, with to, in regards to inner child work. So I did a inner child work course uh, with Mariam Hasna. I can leave her information in the uh, description box for the podcast, um, but she did a whole uh, two-part course on inner child work, and I absolutely loved it. So she breaks down what inner child work is. She's very spiritual. Um, she doesn't have a mental health background, but even as a mental health professional listening to her, a lot of her work is grounded in psychology or uh, behavioral work. But I, I know one of the things that she says about inner child work is actively identifying what age, like, so if you get triggered and you think back, like this, this goes back to my childhood, what child are you seeing? Are you seeing elementary school you? Are you seeing high school Sasha? Who, like, what is that child so that you're able to kind of work with that version of that, like work with that child, even though it's you, but work with that child to kind of help work through what the issues is with your skills now that you have them as an adult, right? So you, 16 year old Sasha does not have the same master's degree that, you know, 31 year old Mm. Sasha has uh, now. So how do you kind of nurture that uh, 16 year old or that four year old or whoever it is that comes up, but also being very playful. Like you didn't get a chance to play. So um, an example, she had, uh, Mariam Hasna had brought in a guest um, to do the second part of her class. And that particular uh, woman, I can't remember her name because this was a, a while ago. Um, she celebrated her birthday and it was like a child's birthday. So she had coloring books and mm. like, like games and like a cake and like so it was kind of like feeding that inner child and giving that inner child like the experiences that she didn't get when she was younger but she could give herself now to kind of help that healing process so I love 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 inner child work and I think it's super super helpful um I would recommend it to anyone no matter what your traumas or your um issues were I definitely recommend it Mm -hmm. um and then I forgot what you asked me after you finished talking because I went off (laughs) on a tangent no I mean I think it's good it's it's worth but it plays into what I asked you right like letting this inner child out and that's and that's that's the progress recognizing that there's no shame So the shame begins when you perceive something negatively, right? So like you go into something thinking that you're not loved, right? And then you meet Mm -hmm. new people thinking I'm not loved and then that door is closed. And what happens when you open that door? Essentially, your inner child is being released and then they're looking for love and they're looking to play. And then the minute they perceive something as negative in their world, which is real fast, because once your world is programmed, everything looks that way. It looks gray. Mm -hmm. If your world is gray... If, you're, if it's programmed to be great, it's going to be great. And then it's just like this self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Like nobody Absolutely. loves me. Um, it's about moving. So the, the I think that me and you, what we've been discussing is like pushing through, even though when we think it's gray. And then there's another part of us saying like, nah, I can't be gray. Right. Like, let me just see what's on the other side of this. And then what happens? And then the joy that comes from 
realizing like, oh, maybe this is like off white, <laughs> you know, because right. it's, it's not pink yet. <laughs> it's not all. No, pink. it's not rose colored. <laughs> no. It's not rose colored yet. Not and this yet. is why we're here. <laughs> we're bringing you along on our journey. So hopefully we we will get to rose colored together for sure. But yes, I do agree that um, changing the behaviors it does bring out the inner child. But even just one thing that I really have appreciated about working with my new therapist, which has been very different, I, as a result of my trauma, I am a problem solver. I'm like, and, and because of a lot of my work in psychotherapy has been, let's put out the fire, let's put out the fire, let's put out the fire. I've learned a lot about myself in doing that. But I think the, the, what lacked was the processing or working through the emotions. A lot of times I'm very hesitant to explore my emotions because I'm afraid that they're going to overwhelm me. And I think that that's an issue that a lot of people have. You're like, you know, like the last time you felt sad or like last time you had like a breakup, think about like how you were in bed for hours eating ice cream or not talking to anyone or crying. And you're just like, I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do this. Like I had that same like fear about just all of my emotions. Like what am I going to do if my feelings kind of leave me incapable of functioning in this world. Like I can't afford to not function. I can't afford to not go to work. I can't afford to not have a job. Like I need to keep this roof over my head. And I'm going to stop you right there. And that's the same thought that you had living with your parents or whomever was your caretaker, right? You can't afford to stop functioning as this problem solver because Mm -hmm. if you did, you would go under with them for whatever issues they were bringing to the table. Right. Absolutely. Yes. That's a great point. So yeah. So you, so I, I became a problem solver as a result of my trauma. And I think that that was part of what I didn't learn with my previous therapist, which was unfortunate. And I did in interviewing new therapists before I even found Michelle, I was kind of thinking I need someone who's going to sit with me in these emotions and help me kind of like process and understand them. Um, I will say CBT If that is initially what you're looking for, CBT might not be that. Um, But because I have done a lot of foundational work and because I'm able to identify my emotions, I think CBT works for me because now I have a concrete way and I have concrete steps for how to process my emotions. So I might not be able to do that during therapy because we're actively working and it's very goal oriented. But once like, let's say I'm home, I'm alone, this comes up, then I was able to work with my therapist to come up with the way to go move from problem solving to processing, which is a new uh, way of thinking and being, which is a very concrete skill that I learned. So very quickly, this is my personal way of processing. Um, so processing for someone else might look completely different, but this is this is very specific to Crystal. Um, so my first step in processing versus problem solving is letting go of timelines or pressures to act and respond immediately. I'm always thinking like, I have to come up with an answer. I have to do this now. I can't wait. And sometimes you're just like, you know what, let it go. Um, unless it's an emergency crisis situation, obviously you have to act immediately, but most things are not crises and you don't always have to act immediately. So for me, I want to let go of my timelines journal to access the feelings, just kind of write it down. What is it? What's coming up? It does not need to make sense. Just write it. I will, I have to allow myself to be in a space of ambiguity and be comfortable with that. Um, and it's hard because that's where my anxiety lives. 
And uh, anxiety is not fun for anyone who is suffering from anxiety. So I have to just learn to relax. And what are the techniques that I, you know, encompass during that time? Um, So then I can then I can process the emotions, talk with the friends, but not with another problem solver, someone who's just going to listen. Or sometimes you just have to tell your friend, like, I just need you to listen. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need solutions. You need to sometimes be specific with people because people are always going to act from what they know or who they are. Um, And that might not be what you need. So be open to talking to them about it. And then the last part is accept what, what has happened forgive forgive myself give myself grace and self compassion actually that's not my last step my last step is once in a space of clarity work towards a solution and my therapist actually mentioned that sometimes the solution that you get after you process might still be the same solution that you would have that I would have come to had I problem solved but the difference is that I worked through everything I thought it through I felt it so once I get to that solution I'm not missing all of the in-between. My therapist says you go from step one to step four. In her mind, it's four. Processing is four Mm. steps. In my life, it's six. But um, (laughs) there's there's more steps in there. But she's like, you go from step one, from what happened to a solution, and you don't, like, really process uh, the in-between. You're kind of just going and you're functioning um, quickly to the next thing. So um, I think this will be a different way of of just being and existing in the world. Cause then I know like where I'm coming from as opposed to just going on autopilot. Mm. All right. So the question is, has this helped so far? Like, so what we started at the beginning of August and now we're mm-hmm. in October. So it's like two months. Has it helped? I'm, I'm learning to process. So I haven't mastered the art of processing. It's still very new to me, um, but I'm becoming more comfortable mm. with it. Yeah, I think it, it's it's 30 years of, mm. well, maybe not exactly 30 years, but it is 20 something years that I have to undo. And I've only been doing this for two months, but I will say that I am learning to be in the ambiguity and I am learning to let go of timelines. And I am learning to kind of sit with the emotions. And I was got, I actually having a lot of anxiety about something work-related. And I kind of was like, all right, go into processing mode. And by the time that I was done journaling, I was like, I feel better. Mm. I understand where this is coming from. I understand why I'm feeling anxious. I need to not let my mind go there, but let me work on X, Y, and Z so that the, the place where these thoughts are coming from are coming from a place of me feeling like I'm not doing enough. And it's like, I am doing enough. But if you want to feel just a little bit more productive, you can work on these two projects, which is manageable mm. and not going to overwhelm me or put me into superpower mode, which is what women tend to do. Like they yeah. need to be the highest achievers. I'm like, don't jump over there. But what are two things that you can actually manage and actually do to feel like you're being more productive? So nice. still a work in progress, but well, yeah, definitely working. I mean, listen, I, I talk about like, ooh, I talk about it like I'm healed. I'm definitely not healed because like I wake up. So something I realized that I've been experiencing is that I think my baseline is just very anxious naturally. And it always has been. But during the pandemic, like I'm noticing since my ass is sitting down literally at my house, there's no movement. So there's a lot of energy in my body. I still experience that. It still gives me headaches. It still tenses my back up. 
I get bloated, like no, it looks like I'm pregnant, which is crazy. Uh, and that's, and if, you know, for all the females out there, that is not a good look, especially when you're thick. Um, cause then I really look pregnant. <laughs> like, uh, it's not a good look. She doesn't. Yes. You, she, she hasn't seen me people. So anyway, uh, <laughs> it's all right. I, I live with the looking pregnant. I, I'm like, oh, I'd be a cute pregnant girl, right? That's like a positive thing. Um, but something that I noticed that I've been doing more lately and working with this like inner child is I've been dancing. I grew up in the, like the explosion here, Crystal's twerking. I love it. I grew up when reggaeton exploded in New York, right? Like when only, yeah. the, only we knew about it. And like, I remember going to the, the, what was it? The Latino mix concert, the first reggaeton concert that they had at 13 or 14. I don't know how my mom let me go, but. In Madison Square Garden, and girl, I was I wasn't going anywhere <laughs> at that age, but yes, I was always very, like I I was always someone like I wanted it and I got it. I've just like been twerking in the mirror, playing old school reggaeton, enjoying my life, like acting like I'm at a club, acting like I'm still bartending. Like it's been great, and that has and I I know that that is a sign that I am progressing because that's something I used to do when I was little. I used to like lock myself in a room and just like start like you know breaking it down when and making sure (laughs) (laughs) nobody saw me but I would like I have moves because I practiced since I was little so (laughs) yes she I will say Sasha can albachata me as a Dominican she's Colombian I'm Dominican um it's a shame but whatever uh (laughs) but no I think I think that's great I first of all I am the number one advocate for dance parties. I be having dance parties in my living room by myself all the time. Remember when um, Bad Bunny did that concert on the truck like, uh. through New York City? I watched it, and you would have thought that Bad Bunny was in my living room. The level of hype. I, first of all, I blasted the sound, and I was like, I don't even care if my neighbors complain. It's Bad Bunny. Um, they, were, they were probably <laughs> bopping to it anyway, so. To it, to it, right? They were like, oh, girl, you we watched that an hour ago because I definitely watched it a little late. But no, I I I love that. I love, I'm the queen of uh, dance parties. But I think it's also part of integrating because that's another part of inner child work. Mm-hmm. Not only do you have to identify the the child that's harmed in in their way or that needs love, um, but then how do you integrate that? into the person that you are today. Because yes. a lot of times um, that harmed child, like their hurt and their pain is too much for us to deal with. So we kind of hide them away and we we put them somewhere else and we ignore them. Um, so how do we let that child come out? How do we work with that child to heal them and then integrate them into who we are? So I feel like 13-year-old Sasha is, is making a yeah, comeback. Not even 13-year-old girl. I, was, I must have been like eight or nine. Just like... I will lie, y'all, I'll never forget that. It's so vivid. But side note, but it does relate. I, this is like complete side note, speaking of Bad Bunny. I think Bad Bunny is somebody who really actively integrates his inner child as an adult. And that's why I just, aside from his music, that's why I just love him so much. Um, I think he's just an amazing, just figure, period. And he's really, like, he's he's extremely talented. Sorry, I had to shout out Bad Bunny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear you, girl. I hear you. I agree. Yeah, yeah. He's making, uh, a, I don't know, just 
he his legacy making headways yeah. he's definitely yeah he's making headway also shout outs to breaking those gender norms and stereotypes and and all that good stuff exactly um, so i love it and you know yeah. that's why i say like i think he he could like there's something very integrated about his like young self and his adult self because like yes i'm sure he has dark parts to him because you can see that too but Yo, here I'm analyzing Bad Bunny. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I just think yo, that- Bad Bunny. I don't know what Bad Bunny fans are called, but don't add us. Don't add us. I just think that those things come naturally to him, and that's that's the goal, right? To live like he, his album, like Yo hago lo que me da la gana, like I do whatever I want, right? Right. He lives very authentically. Yeah. So sorry, just had to put that out there. But I think in two months. That's that's great progress. Going back to Crystal and I, no, no more Bad Bunny. Because um, you should have seen us. I mean, I was crying every day. I was literally crying every day. I don't know about you, girl, because you don't like crying in front of me. No, I wasn't crying, but um, that was the problem. I wasn't crying. I, I'm very, I, one of my defense mechanisms was kind of like turning inward. Um, and because we were in a pandemic, it was very easy for me to, iso- like I isolate myself. And this is something that I definitely need to continue working on. I isolate myself, period. And I remember at the beginning of 2020, I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to like go out. I'm going to like mm-hmm. share experiences that I want to, even if I like, even as like, I wanted to go see this movie. I don't know anyone who wants to go see this movie. I'm going to go alone or just kind of being very intentional about making plans with friends and things like that. And 2020 was like, psych. So I think it was very easy for me to default back to my past, not so helpful, not so healthy defense mechanisms of isolating myself because I was literally alone Mm -hmm. um, in my apartment. So I think that I went into really, really dark places um, and no one knew because I was alone and they didn't see me. And I, you know, if I had to just put on a front for an hour Zoom meeting, then I could do that. And then I could sink into my depression um, afterwards. And it was really easy to hide yeah, that. Yeah, that concerns me. And I'm really hoping, I think I think you're in a good, a better place where even if, and I'm more comfortable now knowing your journey, like, and just being like, hey, 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 you know, and then I, I feel like eventually you'll figure it out and then you'll like, you'll talk real with me, which is good. I also don't like to push, but you know, one day at a time. And I hate that saying, oh my God, I used to hate that saying so much, but it's, you know, the older you get, the more you realize these cliches, they, they, Aren't true. yeah, it's fucking annoying, but it's real. It's real life. It is. Yeah. So one day at a time. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So clearly Sasha mentioned, uh, we're doing well, um, but we'll keep you posted. It's two months. We've, we're two months in. Um, it's still very new. And, you know, obviously for me, I'm doing a completely different type of therapy so it's still very very new to me um i'll talk to you guys about you know the actual deep dive into the trauma hopefully i don't stutter next time i bring it up (laughs) um but we'll do we'll do another check-in and let you all know how we're doing because i think there's people really don't talk about that um and even though it's really positive right now i anticipate that the next time i do a check-in um and i'm in the middle of walking through my traumas that it's not going to sound as positive or as fun as it is now, but it's still very real. And it's still very much a part of 
the process. So um, definitely excited to do another check-in with you guys. Yes. And I'm just going to be that therapist and say that I fully, fully appreciate your transparency. And I, I, I appreciate my transparency. It's not easy doing like talking about these things. So thank you, Crystal. And thank you to... Thank you, Boo. Of course. And thank you to those who actually listened throughout the whole thing. And, and, you know, hopefully we inspired you to, I don't know, just do something more positive and move away from the negative. Yes. All right. Until next time, people. See ya. Bye.